Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to the Analysis.News podcast. This episode is produced in collaboration with Other News. Other News is an international press platform that disseminates analysis, insights, and information about global issues in English, Spanish, and Italian. You can find it at other-news.info. Poland is one of the more important countries of Europe in terms of geopolitics and the size of its economy. Yet in North America, we hear very little about it, and most of us know even less. Poland is a regional power in Central Europe, with the largest stock exchange in the East Central European zone, has the sixth largest economy in the European Union and 10th largest in all of Europe. Poland maintains a high income economy, along with a relatively high standard of living, at least that's what it says when you in research Poland, we're going to find out how true all that is. It has, relatively speaking, high living standards and, and does well in terms of standards of safety and education. Alongside a developed educational system, the state also provides free university education, social security, and a universal health care system, none of which you can find in the United States. Poland is one of the closest allies of the U.S. in the world, contributing troops to the invasion of Iraq and supporting the U.S. policy of encirclement of Russia. Now joining us to discuss the situation in Poland and its role in the world is Boyan Stanislavski. He's a Bulgarian and Polish activist, a journalist, an editor, publisher, translator. In the late 90s, he was active in the Polish left and later in the labor movement, particularly the biggest Polish labor confederation, the All Poland Trade Union Alliance. Until 2012, editor-in-chief of its weekly magazine and senior editor at Barricada.org and Strike.eu. He's the Polish correspondent for the Bulgarian National Radio. Thanks for joining us, Boyan. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start with what's in the news and then get sort of to a, a, the bigger picture. Um, Poland has a very right-wing, almost virtually fundamentalist Catholic government. And there's been very brutal suppression of the LGBTQ community recently. So tell us, first of all, what's been happening and why and what, where is Polish public opinion on this? Absolutely. Uh, what we're uh, witnessing in Poland right now is a major crackdown on the LGBTQ community here, a violent one on top of that. And uh, it bears no resemblance to anything that I can think of in the modern Polish history since, uh, you know, homosexuality was uh, not outlawed anymore. And that happened in the early 30s. Uh, and uh, this is, of course, abhorring because uh, we see a lot of, or we, we saw a lot of uh, politically motivated police violence against the LGBTQ activists and their supporters. Uh, the events that surfaced in the international media that happened uh, last weekend uh, when, and I, I don't want to go into all the details of it, but it was uh, rampant police violence in the, in the very center of Warsaw, Polish capital, where people were not only beaten up, you know, dragged on the concrete to police cars, uh, massively arrested. I mean, 
you know, I think even the police, they even went over the top in a way that there was not enough room in all the police stations in Warsaw. They had to drive them, uh, the, the detainees, to police stations in uh, small towns. How many people were involved in the protests? Well, the protest wasn't massive. It was about a couple of hundred people, and uh, a little more than 100 were detained. Afterwards, it turned out that 50, almost 50, were uh, arrested, effectively. Uh, and all of them, uh, well, all of them, you know, at least I haven't seen any account where anyone would say that their rights are dead as detainees or arrested uh, citizens would have been respected. So that's why I say all of them were subjected to either minor or major tortures, including sexual harassment. Uh, there, there were some absolutely hair-raising reports in the social media, as well as in the mainstream oppositional media uh, and in alternative media about how uh, particularly transgender people that were arrested were you know, stripped of their clothes, clothing on... Uh, uh, under some sort of very weird pretext that, you know, some personal search has to be conducted. And, you know, their genitals were touched, they were laughed at, they were, you know, it's 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 really horrendous. And many people were denied lawyer, uh, were denied contact with lawyer, family. Uh, I will, you know, even MPs, Polish members of parliament who tried to intervene to prevent the police from uh, exercising this rampant brutality were uh, physically assaulted by the police which uh, to me is uh, a manifestation of the fact that we now have passed the tipping point and we live in an authoritarian state. Because uh, when you have MPs with immunity that are trying to, you know, stand between the uh, repressed people and the police and they are being pushed down on the concrete and, and by the police, that means, you know, it was obviously politically motivated. The police were instructed to do so. They were also uh, reassured that there will be complete and total impunity. So, so why, why, why would the government do this when so a couple of hundred people they could have ignored it? Why choose to make such a uh, spectacle of repression? Yes, uh, well, that's because uh, of the nature of this government and uh, the way they perceive politics. For them, politics is not. Uh, like some conflicting interests in the society or in the economy that one has to solve as a leader, but is uh, rather a kind of constant game of emotional disbalancing and ex emotional exploitation of society. This is, this is their matrix for their political, uh, this is their political agenda. This is how they work. And because LGBT is uh, such a symbolic thing and it, you know, it, it has the potential of being divisive, that's why they are doing this. A and also it's because of the fact that the leader of the currently uh, ruling party in Poland, Law and Justice, as you said uh, quite rightly in your introduction, a right-wing Catholic fundamentalist party, uh, chairman by the name of Kaczynski, he's a very uh, spiteful and revengeful person. And, uh, and once LGBT activists attracted some public attention and media attention, including international media, uh, they immediately became uh, enemy number one. And he just had to crack down on them. This is the mentality, also authoritarian mentality, I would say, uh, that is behind this. And, uh, and, and of course, they could have ignored it. And uh, in the first place, they didn't have to provoke this. 
because it was all very, uh, it was all mm, preceded with a lot of provocative actions on the part of the state against the LGBT community. It finally, you know, brought the people to the center of Warsaw into this sort of um, uh, a spontaneous demonstration that they uh, recently dismantled in such a brutal manner. So important for them to do that. And I think now, since the Russian card, because, you know, they're running, running out of boogeyman, uh, for the last couple of years, the boogeyman number one were the Russians, of course. You know, the Russians are coming, the Russians, uh, the Russian tanks are coming, and uh, all the rest of the story. Uh, so uh, that kind of started losing, uh, losing inertia, and they had to come up with something else uh, in order to maintain control over the society because this is the only way they know how to rule. On the other hand, I want to say that, uh, you know, this itself is should not be treated as an isolated incident. Well, of course, it is an incident, and it's a very violent and, and horrific one. But this, but this is, a, you see, this is a, this is a symptom of the general disintegration of the Polish society, that has been that hasn't started yesterday, not even a year ago, or not even in 1215 when uh, Law and Justice won their uh, parliamentary election and the uh, presidential election for the first time. Uh, it's a process that has been going on for the last three decades, and it's as long as the Polish restoration of capitalism is. So it all dates back to 1989, really. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really. But it's really strange for the international press uh, to interpret uh, the events, the current events in Poland, not only the one uh, from, from the last weekend, but in general what's going on here, as some kind of accident, as, as, as like everything was going on. And you said it also in the introduction that in the international press or in the American press, you can read the only good things about Poland, or you were able to read only good things until 2015 when law justice took power and something happened. Uh, what was that? Like, how come suddenly, you know, this right-wing hooliganism and rampage in Poland? Well, you know, the left has been trying to warn. And, you know, myself as a left activist from 1998, me and, you know, my comrades, we have been shouting at the screaming at the tops of our lungs. Uh, we have been crying about where this so-called peaceful transition is actually leading us to. But no one listened uh, because, of course, uh, there was, you know, the, the restoration of capitalism was accompanied by a major ideological offensive where the bottom line was uh, aggressive anti-communism. So we, you know, we were just ignored. And we said it many, many times that, this, what is happening in Poland, is either going to end up in an authoritarian right-wing regime, or is going to happen, or what is going to happen is uh, a, a general decline of the statehood. And actually, it turns out we were pretty optimistic because what happens is, you know, both, not one of these things. Poland is in a state of Poland as a state is in a state of decline, so to say, a major uh, decline where uh, the society is totally disintegrated and, and, and uh, 
the state institutions don't do their job. They are only uh, instruments in the hands of the ruling party, which is not even which is not a party anymore. It's like a corporation. You know, it's everywhere. So they are only used for uh, distribution of influence or uh, for securing power, basically, or for repression. Uh, and. Uh, but, the society at the same time is enormously frustrated and this is how law and justice came to power because they decided they're going to actually use it as leverage. Why this disintegration when what we read, as you say, is mostly good? Uh, like, for example, uh, we're told that Poland uh, missed or didn't have uh, as affected by the crash in 07, 08. Uh, unemployment's relatively low, uh, so on and so on. I mean, what in terms of the economy, what's the real story? Absolutely. So the real story uh, is that economy shrinked very, very drastically, already back in the beginning of the 90s, uh, it started, the restoration of capitalism started with the, with, the, with the destruction of the economic backbone of the country, which was the heavy industry, and a, a total withdrawal of the state from the public sphere in general, what followed was privatization and all forms of, you know, major economic theft, explosion of poverty, mass poverty, uh, something unheard of. Was there a, did it give rise to a class of oligarchs like as it did in Russia? No, not as indeed in Russia. Uh, it was, uh, the process was milder. I think it was a little more controlled. Nonetheless, uh, you know, rampant poverty, uh, you know, homelessness. All, and that was, of course, followed by eruption of uh, criminality, you know, petty criminality, organized crime, uh, you know, pickpockets, gangsters, what have you. Uh, and, and that, in turn, was followed by, um, by uh, well, how, how do I uh, explain that? By a cultural uh, decline, civilizational moral decline uh, in, uh, in the society, because the society had to be reprogrammed, in a way. I mean, people had to start struggling, okay, for their own individual existence. And uh, that had to produce all these uh, pathologies and the growing frustration. So this frustration has been piling up for the last 30 years. And uh, it was allowed to pile up without any major eruption because there was a certain consensus made around the round table between the old communist, uh, so-called communist uh, uh, party and uh, and the opposition. Uh and one of the consensuses was that no matter how hard it is, no matter what, what hardships the Poles have to go through, we're not giving them anything. No social security, no social benefit, no social benefits, nothing of that kind. And we don't talk about that even. Plus, there was this consensus that we always speak only good things about the transition. Nothing, get, uh, nothing bad can be uttered about it in the public sphere, in the media, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, law and justice, it also has a history. I mean, the leaders of law and justice, you know, the Kaczynski that I mentioned, they have a history in Polish politics. But, uh, well, you know, to, to, to uh, cut the long story short, they were kind of ousted in the uh, in mid-90s and were functioning somewhere on the periphery of the Polish political system, and they didn't like that. And in, in, 2000, in the 
Yeah, in 2005, uh, they, by then they had regrouped and they've won, the, they've made their first big uh, uh, breakthrough by winning the parliamentary elections back then. But the establishment, uh, the previous establishment was so uh, stable that it managed to kick them out again. And from 2007, they were uh, they were gathering more and more strength and developing uh, you know new ideas about how to you know propagate their uh, whatever ideas views and so and what political profile would work best in these situations. Uh, and they, they they really you know once they won in 2015 again, then they said we're not letting go. Like, we're not letting it go. This time, we're really, you know, going to stay here for as long as we can, for as long as we can secure a place for us in the Polish establishment. That's why they are so aggressive, because they know that it's the only way for them. And they ha- they they won because they dared to break the consensuses. You know, it was just the kind of political game uh, in the elite. Like, okay, you play with us that way. You don't allow us uh, to uh, to participate in power and, 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 like, you know, in the... Uh, in the process of, of power plus in uh, you're not allowing us to uh, be a part of the machine in a way that they could benefit from it as well. So we're going to play some dirty tricks too. And they've broken the consensus. Um, in my introduction, based on a very cursory uh, piece of research, I said that there is in Poland free university education, social security, and a universal healthcare system. If that's all true, those are all products of a relatively modern European social democracy. So is it true? And if so, then what happened? Yeah, okay. Uh, So absolutely, it's true. And it's not a product of modern European or Western European democracy, uh, social democracy, but it's a product of the Polish People's Republic uh, system. That's what it's a product of. And it's only thanks to very, very severe struggles in the 90s and later, uh, particularly uh, labor union struggles that I you know, participated in, that we managed to keep that. Because you know the elite, they wanted to destroy that too. And there were many, many attempts to privatize the healthcare system, to privatize the education, and so on and so forth. Nevertheless... You know, in comparison to the economic standards, uh, you know, in the before 1989, the this neoliberal uh, uh, experiment that is failing before our very eyes after 30 years, uh, you know, had catastrophic effects on the society and on the economy. So yeah, we managed to keep uh, you know battling for that very seriously. Some some of the uh, most progressive achievements, social achievements, you know, political achievements, from before 1989, but, you know, most of them were gone. Uh, and, you know, even if you look at the healthcare uh, or, or, the, or education, you know, in 1966, there was this major uh, uh, campaign in Poland, uh, build 1,000 schools for the 1,000 years of the existence of the Polish state. That was, and you know, I, I, I cannot tell you how many schools they have closed down since uh, since 1989, but I'm pretty sure more than 1,000. Plus, you know, I can give you all kinds of indicators, uh, statistically speaking, to make it more, um, uh, to make it easier to perceive maybe for uh, for our listeners. 
but only in the yeah go ahead yeah only in the first three years of the so-called transition uh 1990 to 1993 1500 jobs were liquidated eliminated from the economy every single day of the year, including Sundays and holidays, statistically speaking, okay, like on average. Uh, we had, in 1989, Poland had 31,000 kilometers of railway on which passenger trains operated. Now we have barely 14,000. Okay, so uh, like in terms of hospitals, again, I don't know how many they've closed. I mean, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but it was a major, major downgrade. Okay, so it's like it's not that it's not that the authorities uh, or the powers uh, that be after 1989 have given us free healthcare and free education, but it's it, it, it's the fact that the labor movement struggled against demolishing it to the you know to the core, like eliminating it completely. So, uh, you know, I, I hope this gives a sense of, of how, of what kind of hardships, you know, we had, uh, we have been enduring for the last 30 years in Poland and in Eastern Europe in general. And of course, you're right to say that Poland is not like such a failed state, like for example, Ukraine or Moldova or Bulgaria for that matter. I know you're going to be speaking with my colleague from Bulgaria. Uh, sometime later, so you know he can explain that better. But uh, but you know this is this is something that produced massive frustration in the society, and it's only that law and justice uh, that it's it's just that law and justice took an advantage of it and said, okay, like we're now going to openly criticize the transition. We're going to say people actually. Many people have lost during the transition. We're going to say that Poland today, as it is, is not the best of all worlds for all the citizens. We're going to say, that, you know, they're going to say all the most basic things that we knew and that we were, uh, you know, trying to inform the public opinion about. But, you know, our access as the left in general to the media and to public sphere was very, very limited. And it still is limited, of course. Uh, but now, you know, with the social media and so on and so forth, things have changed a little bit. Well, talk, talk about the recent elections. The, the Law and Justice Party won, but only by about, what, three percentage points? Well, of course. I mean, if you take into it, like, if you want to speak about that mathematically, then if you take all the other parties together and Law and Justice, the Law and Justice won by three or four or five percent or something like that. I can't remember the exact percentage. It was less than 10, obviously. So, okay, it wasn't maybe in terms of, you know, mathematically speaking, it wasn't a major success. But, like, come on. These were the six elections in a row won by law and justice. And they were won because it's the first party in the 30 years to the, to the propaganda of which people are able to relate somehow massively. Okay. And of course, they, they you know, the propaganda has to be getting, you know, more and more aggressive all the time. If propaganda is the only instrument of power that you have. So, you know, it started with some mild uh, uh, social uh, social measures. You know, they introduced child support, for example, back in 2016. Uh, 500 zloty, about $150 for every child uh, for the parents every month until uh, until the, uh, the children turn 18, I think. Uh, so, yeah, like, you know, on one hand, 
they they sort of flirted with the people. They they, they said you're poor. We know you're poor. We're going to give you some money. But you know this is this is about that. Like they don't they don't do anything else than this, and they are not able to maintain that as well because. You know they are right wing, so they don't understand anything about redistribution uh, or, or, or you know uh, progressive taxation and so on and so forth. So they are lowering taxes and expand and expanding in, uh, expenses at the same time, budgetary expenses. So it's going to flip at certain point, obviously, and uh, and and they need the constant uh, stress that they can. You know they can inflict on the society. They can they can just spray around the public sphere, and uh, I think this is uh, this is pretty much what we're witnessing today is pretty much the end of that model that was imposed on Poland in 1989, which is brutal shock ter- shock therapy based neoliberalism. But on the other hand, I want to say I'm not very optimistic because judging by the uh, you know right-wing fundamentalist rampage that is going on in Poland currently, I'm not really sure that, you know, what's coming is necessarily better. The, uh, in, in terms of the elections and the overall politics, what's the role of the Catholic Church? Uh, Pope Francis himself, and at least his wing of the party, uh, you would think would not be so in support of this kind of repression of uh, LGBTQ and so on. Uh, what role does the church play there? Well, the church is the largest corporation in Poland it's uh, probably the richest institution in the history of that country. Uh, and it's present everywhere, all the time, uh, you know, even symbolically in terms of architecture. In Warsaw alone, we've got 150 churches, okay? Uh, in the very center, we've got over uh, 35. Uh, but, but apart from that, the, the church has been a part of the transition and a very important one. And they, you know, back in 1988, so before 1989, one year before the, you know, the round table talks and the transition and so on and so forth, the beginning of the transition, they already uh, felt like things are gonna change and they wanted to, to make sure they're gonna be part of the process. So they started, uh, back then they had launched a hysterical campaign against abortions because you see abortions were uh, free and uh, were available for every woman that wanted to have an abortion before 1989. So in 1988, they started this campaign and and they wanted to make sure they were going to be part of the, of the change. Okay. Of the switch from, uh, from the previous system to uh, neoliberal capitalism. And of course they were used uh, as the mm, as the propaganda ideological wing. They secured that field. They, uh, they were sort of responsible to uh, format the Polish society ideologically and they they've done a great job from there from their point of view of course that uh that was not without a clear obvious political support uh, in 1993 uh, the, the the government then led by the prime minister hanna suhotska uh 
from a party that is a predecessor to the party uh, called Civic Platform, the party of Donald Tusk, who's an important figure in the European Union now, and, and it's a major, major opposition party now in Poland as well. Uh, a right-wing one, just to, you know, I'm, I'm stressing on that every time uh, because it's often presented as some kind of liberal democratic, maybe even social democratic uh, organization. That's not true. Uh, so back then in 1993, Poland, the Polish government, signed a special treaty with the Vatican where they introduced religion classes, Catholic religion classes, of course, at, uh, you know, in public schools. Uh, when they banned abortion, because po- abortion is effectively banned in Poland, only there are three exceptions. Like if the, let me think, if the if the health of the mother is endangered, if there are some irreversible genetic uh, damages discovered in the fetus, and if rape is involved. Okay, so these three circumstances, under these three circumstances, you might have a legal abortion, although it's difficult enough to get a legal abortion even in, in these cases. Uh, so from that moment on, like not from 1993, but from 1990, uh, from 1988, actually, the church was gradually expanding its influence and gradually expanding, of course, its wealth. Because let me tell you, you know, it's surprising uh, for many people uh, in the West that, for example, uh, in the 90s, the church, the Catholic Church, as an organization, was allowed to import cars from the West and sell them here without without any toll. Like there were no customs, no toll, you know, nothing. They didn't have to pay anything, okay? And also they, they barely have to pay until today any taxes. Plus, in 1993, in, uh, in this document that was signed between the Pope and the Polish Prime Minister back then, there was a huge sum of money in the public budget secured for the church. So every year, every month, every day, we give as citizens, taxpayers, if you like, money, free money to the Catholic Church, which, you know, of course, it's not their only, you know, it's not their only income. You know, they, they, they run companies, uh, they run uh, all kinds of travel agencies, uh, you know, stores where they sell, you know, the kind of Catholic decorum and, 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 and um, uh, you know, this is, this is just, uh, this is a huge corporation. Right. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Uh, it, it's, it's fairly uh, commonly understood amongst people that sort of pay attention to all this, that the U.S. directly supported Pope John Paul II becoming Pope and, and helping facilitate his actions in, uh, in 1979 and 80. Uh, and, and developing solidarity and so on. I, I think they're now, t- uh, have they made him actually a saint at this point or they're talking about oh, it? Yeah, 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 it's done. Yeah, yeah it's done. Uh, the, to what extent is the U.S. still invo- very involved in the outcome of what happens in Poland? And also, what is the Polish government's relationship with Trump? Let's st- start with the uh, sort of the history of the United States uh, trying to affect the outcome of events. Yeah, uh, so the United States uh, have been investing, uh, we're investing, I should say, in the 80s and in the 70s in all kinds of uh, anti-communist movements in throughout Eastern Europe, basically. And, you know, the question of a, a Polish a Polish priest, bishop, whatever, being elected, you know, elevated to this uh, 
international uh, level, like, you know, becoming a pope, that was very important. And there's a lot of literature about how uh, the United States has, uh, you know, meddled, <laughs> uh, to use the, you know, word, uh, which is very frequently used now, uh, meddled in, uh, in, in this process. And of course, through John Paul II, they were trying to undermine, uh, the system and the, uh, the rule of the Polish United Workers Party in Poland. And obviously that's, that's a hundred percent. Plus they've also invested a lot, a lot of money through their trade unions, uh, you know, in, uh, in the solidarity movement, uh, in the beginning of the eighties and then in late eighties as well. And I think it's also important to understand that the first solidarity, the one that emerged in the late seventies was a, a very serious, uh, movement with revolutionary potential, I would say. And then it was destroyed during the years of martial law, 1981, 1983. And, uh, and then, you know, on the basis of that, like people, uh, who were, well, people, different people formed the so-called second solidarity. That's how it goes in the history books. The second solidarity, uh, which was, uh, which had nothing to do with any major, uh, social movement. It was just a, a, a group of people that wanted to cut a deal with the so-called communists. Okay. In inverted commas communists, uh, to, to make sure that, you know, there's no, that, that they can, you know, they will make some space for them to also rule and that the system is going to be switched from, uh, <clears throat> from what we had before to neoliberal capitalism and uh, Americans were there all the time. And the American uh, and the Polish opposition, they have, they, they have always been modeling themselves on the Americans. So it's very important, like even culturally, okay, not only politically, but cul culturally America was like the model for them. They were constantly looking up towards it. America. America was like presented here by the opposition as something absolutely fantastic where, you know, people are free, where uh, the shops are full of, uh, you know, all kinds of goods where everybody's rich and so on and so forth. And, you know, you can imagine there was not, not, not a lot of talk about like poverty in America or for example, lack of healthcare system. Okay. So, uh, so th this dependence, uh, this was translated later on into a sort of kind of geopolitical dependence on the American uh, ruling class. And it lasts until today. And of course, as all the problems, this one also, uh, sort of speeded up and gained a lot of inertia uh, during the rule of law and justice. Because law and justice, you know, we had all these problems, but law and justice made them more severe in a very short period of time because of their uh, rampant attitude and, and uh, because of their hooliganism in politics. So, for example, in terms of, uh, you know, this bowing to America all the time, they would, uh, they would, uh, they decided they're going to pay 2 billion, uh, zlotys. I think it's 500, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like that. 2 billion zlotys, uh, which is, um, about, uh, 500, uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm getting confused. Billions and, and, and billions, uh, whatever. They're going to pay a huge amount of money. Uh, for establishing a military base called Fort Trump. So, you know, I mean, this 
symbolically look at it. I mean, it shows you the level of their uh, servitude towards uh, Washington and towards Trump. And because Trump is, is uh, well, as he's often described, I, I don't think this term is very accurate, but a right-wing populist, so they also want to be right-wing populists. So they've, they've, they've given a, a very uh, serious boost to this cultural, how should I say, counter-revolution that started in 1989 with the church and you know, turning Poland into a fundamentalist uh, country, basically. Mm, so that's why we are seeing you know, eruptions and outrages almost every, uh, every week. And they will go like, okay, this week it's LGBT. Uh, some time ago, it was the Russians. Uh, Ten years ago, it was uh, it was Smolensk, okay? Because probably you've heard about the incident in 2010 when a Polish plane, uh, uh, when there was a disaster near Smolensk, uh, and and on board Polish plane, 96 official in, uh, officials, including the president of the republic, uh, you know, died in this plane crash in 2010. Uh, by the way, the president of Poland at the time was uh, the brother of uh, the twin brother of the Kaczynski, uh, who is the leader of Law and Justice Party. So back then they were uh, they would say, "Oh, it's the Russians who killed who have killed our president," so on and so forth. Although there were you know many international investigations that have proven beyond any doubt that it was uh, it was a pilot error and so on and so forth. So we have this. Then we had, for example, the the theme that we're going to demand uh, war reparations from Germany. I mean, can you think about it? 70 years after the war, now they thought like they're going to demand war reparations from Germany. Obviously, this was just, you know, this, was, this, wasn't, this wasn't serious. Uh, this was just to, uh, to disbalance uh, the uh, society further on. Then, uh, you know, and all kinds of stuff like that, okay? It's, it's outrage after outrage after outrage and, and like an impossible uh, idea one after another. And unfortunately, what it produces is that it, 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 the, the society is disintegrated to an extent because of the aggressiveness, because of the, the hooliganism that, you know, there are people, it is translated into, in society into some form of tribalism, I would say. Like, especially when you, when you ask the people who are in, who take interest, active interest in, in, in public cause, then it's like you either support law and justice or you support the civic platform, which is the leader of the opposition. There is no other way, you know, for us, for the left, and we are blamed all the time for the victories of uh, law and justice for the last six victories of law and justice because we were not, you know, part of the united opposition. Well, it's like blaming vegans for, I don't know, uh, people, butchers not selling enough beef. Like, I'm sorry, we are not going to take part in this. Like, we understand that there are significant problems with the civic liberties, with, uh, you know, democracy, if you like. Mm, uh, that there is a growing that there are growing authoritarian tendencies and so on and so forth, but we are not going to uh, to support a project that you know the bottom line of which is let's go back to how it has been before law and justice because this means let's go back to how it has been to uh, uh, how it has been 
uh, how the circumstances were that gave us law and justice. So let's go back into the old status quo that produced the victory of law and justice. And we don't, we're not going to sign up to that. But 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 in but in Poland, uh, which is quite different than the United States, you do have some kind of uh, representation uh, based on proportionality, don't you? It's it's not just first past the post. So the left actually gets some seats because of this. Is that right? Yes, that's right. The left has been very weak for a long period of time now. It had uh, it, it had a moment when it could have uh, when it could have gotten everything, but. You know, due to the kind of neoliberal orientation of the government, uh, it was 20 years ago, so it's history now. But yeah, we do have some MPs. Like out of 364, we have like almost yeah 41 and 41 left MPs. So yes, of course, we do have that representation. But you know, this representation doesn't really mean much when you have uh, when you have the overwhelming majority of law and justice, uh, a very uh, a, a very solid, a very disciplined one, okay, in front, like they can do whatever they like. And, you know, our MPs, even on the streets, you know, when it, I, I, uh, even on the streets, it's difficult for them to intervene because the police is now allowed to actually beat them up. Right. Now, it, who, who owns stuff in Poland? How concentrated is the ownership of the economy? Uh, what is the sort of class structure and, and, and in levels of inequality? But mostly, who owns stuff? Because right now, we've been talking about political parties and political... But, but wh- where is the real power? So the real power... Uh, well, you know, it's not like in America where the real power doesn't almost doesn't lie uh, with the executive branch, okay? It's uh, uh, like we don't have that sort of, uh, you know, oligarchic, uh, bureaucratic, deep state, you know, behind the scenes, not to the extent at least, okay, as you have in America. Uh, of course, there are families and people who are extremely, you know, uh, wealthy, you know, the kind of filthy rich of Poland. Of course, they, they are there. But, uh, and they are in constant contact with the representatives of all political parties, basically, because for them, you know, be, if it's going to be whatever, uh, a fundamentalist Catholic state, uh, you know, run in an authoritarian manner or some kind of conservative, uh, whatever, conservative regime, but, you know, with better functioning democracy than uh, than we have now, you know, for them it doesn't matter so much. So we have a couple of families, like maybe ten together. Yeah, I'm reading. I'm reading on the Forbes list. There's six Polish billionaires. Okay, yeah, right. So, well, these six Polish billionaires plus odd, like say four or five other people who are not billionaires, but like you know, they have a lot of. <clears throat> Well, basically, an infinite amount of money because you can't really spend that, uh, and, and and you get uh, you get a sense of it. But also, I think it's important to figure out, uh, to, you know, to maybe uh, take uh, uh, to look at look at it in retrospect how these fortunes were formed because uh, they were formed only on the basis of of stealing what has been produced, built, and established by the People's Republic until 1989. Then it was privatized. You know, privatized in a way it was like given for pennies 
you know, to people. And they were, there was, in the, in the 90s, we had a scandal after a scandal for uh, how for, for single cents, you know, factories were uh, sold uh, uh, to individual people, how, uh, uh, how you know, uh, uh, for example, large areas, uh, large rural areas, large agricultural areas were sold, also to the church, by the way, also to the church. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's important, the message that I'm trying to convey is that these are not people who have you know, worked hard, invested well, then managed their companies, and so on and so forth. No, that's not the case. We don't have that kind of, uh, well, bourgeoisie, let's use it in Marxist jargon, okay? We just have people who, had they been thrown in the beginning of the 90s into any kind of market conditions, they wouldn't have lasted for five minutes because they had no idea. They had been given large resources as a present almost. And then, you know, some of them managed to build up on that and some of them, uh, some of them failed utterly. And, you know, many of these assets like factories and so on and so forth were also sold to international companies, which afterwards closed them down in order not to, you know, to prevent competition. So uh, it's uh, the inequalities, statistically speaking, are terrible. We are, uh, like Bulgaria is always first, it's the poorest country in the European Union, then comes Romania, and then it's Poland. And it's always been like that since 2004, uh, since Poland joined the European Union, or 2007 really, because it's Romania and Bulgaria that joined uh, on that year. But uh, before, uh, between 2004 and 2007, Poland was the poorest. And with biggest uh, gap, income gap and inequalities. So uh, that's a very, very severe problem. And now, because of the mild social measures that law and justice uh, have introduced, this was supposed to, you know, to get balanced a little bit. But you see, the structure of the economy, the overall architecture of how the Polish economy functions, which was designed, uh, well, was designed earlier, but was uh, sort of... Uh, 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 imposed on Poland in 1989 is such that even despite these child support, uh, you know, uh, uh, and other minor social measures introduced by law and justice, the poverty is growing, including the so-called extreme poverty. Okay, so uh, as I said, what we are witnessing is an end of a model. Uh, because people just can't take it anymore. And uh, I'd like to be hopeful, but I'm not very optimistic. I'm not sure what's coming is much better. Mm, I guess that's a feeling all around the world right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much for joining us. And let's do this again soon, because you keep using the term so-called communism. I think we could do a whole segment on what you mean by that. Absolutely. Gladly. Yeah. So, so let's arrange that soon. So, Boyan, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks a lot. And thank you for joining us on the Analysis.News podcast. Mm -hmm.